This episode contains details of a fatal railroad accident that occurred on November the 24th, 1915 at Salisbury, North Carolina. I'm Dr. David Robinson, and I'm your host for this program. On Wednesday, November the 24th, 1915, there was a rear-end collision between two passenger trains on the Southern Railway. It resulted in the deaths of two passengers and injuries to 35 passengers and three mail clerks. The accident occurred on the Salisbury Terminal Division of the Southern Railway. The line is double track. The movement of trains is governed by timetable, train orders and automatic block signals. Train orders were transmitted by telegraph. Beginning at a point about 1.7 miles south of Salisbury Station and proceeding northward, the track is tangent for 6,500 feet. This is followed by a two-degree curve to the left, 823 feet in length. The track is then tangent for 1,450 feet to Salisbury Station. The first signal, number 3380, was located 1,000 feet from the south of the start of the tangent. Proceeding northward, a second signal, number 3370, was located 5,850 feet farther north of the curve, 250 feet from its south end. At a point 1120 feet north of the second signal is a facing point crossover, leading from the northbound track to the southbound track, and then to several station tracks adjoining on the left. The accident occurred about halfway between the crossover and the second signal. The track at this place extends through a cut about 12 feet in depth, which is spanned by three highway bridges. At the point of the accident, there is a grade of 0.46% descending northward. Northbound passenger train number 32, en route from Charlotte, North Carolina to Richmond, Virginia, consisted of engine 1219, three coaches and three Pullman sleepers, and was in charge of conductor Laird and engine man Jones. It left Charlotte at 8.10pm, 25 minutes late, past China Grove, the last station, 9.4 miles south of Salisbury at 9.16, 36 minutes late. Approaching Salisbury, the first signal, 33.80, was found in a caution position, and the second signal, 33.70, with the top arm in the stop position, and the bottom arm in the caution position. Approaching the crossover, the train was given a signal to stop by a switch tender stationed at that point. The train stopped at 9.30pm. The engine was about 20 feet south of the crossover switch. After waiting a few minutes for a southbound train to pull out of the station and pass on the southbound track, number 32 started forward, and after proceeding about 20 feet, it was again stopped by a hand signal from the switch tender. The train was standing at this point with its rear end at the north end of the curve when it was struck by train number 38 
about 9.36 p.m. Northbound passenger train number 38 was en route from New Orleans, Louisiana to Washington, D.C. It consisted of engine 1333, a postal car, a club car, a dining car, and five Pullman sleeping cars. It was in the charge of Conductor Tucker and Engine Man Tankersley. It left Charlotte at 8.31 p.m., one minute late, and passed China Grove at 9.24 p.m., also one minute late. The train passed the first signal, 33.80, in the caution position, and the second signal, 33.70, with the top arm in the stop position and the lower arm in the caution position. It was running at a speed estimated to have been up to 15 miles per hour when it collided with the rear of train number 32. Although it was after sundown, the weather at the time of the accident was clear. The force of the collision drove train 32 forward about 30 feet. The locomotive of train 38 telescoped the rearmost sleeping car by about 20 feet and drove its rear truck forward to the center of the car. The front end of engine 1333 was only slightly damaged. Neither the engine nor any of the cars were derailed. The automatic block signals by which this territory is protected were installed in February of 1913. The standard signal on Southern Railway is one-arm, three-position, upper right-hand quadrant type. At night, it used white, green and red lights for clear caution and stop indications. The lamps were electrically lighted, but without backlights. Signal 3380 is a one-arm automatic signal displaying standard indications. On the other hand, signal 3370 is a two-arm signal. The top arm gives the usual indications, and a train using the straight or freight track will get the usual clear caution or stop indication, as with any other automatic signal. In such a case, the lower arm remains in the stop position, and the meaning of the top arm is in no way different from that of any of the one-arm signals. The second arm of signal 3370 is for the purpose of indicating to approaching trains that the crossover switch, located 1120 feet farther north, has been opened. This second arm gives a caution and a stop indication only, and is controlled in no way by the track circuit. If the crossover switch leading to the station is opened, the top arm, as with any automatic signal, when the main track is broken, takes the stop position, and the lower arm will assume the caution position. The following aspects are presented, therefore, by this two-arm signal under various conditions. 1. Both arms are at stop, means that the block is obstructed, but crossover switch is not open. 2. Top arm caution, lower arm stop, 
means that the first block is clear but the second block is obstructed. 3. Top arm clear, lower arm stop means that the next two blocks are clear. And finally, 4. Top arm stop, lower caution indicates that switch is set for the station but that the block may or may not be occupied by trains between the signal and the crossover switch. The use by trains of signal 3370 when displaying the latter indication is governed by special timetable rule 603 which reads in part Signal 3370 just south of the passenger station at Salisbury is provided with two arms the upper arm governing through movements on main track the lower arm when in the 45 degree or caution position indicates that the main line switches are set for one of the diverging tracks into the station. Engine men will proceed with caution, prepared to stop within the limits of their vision. On June 28, 1913, the following bulletin was posted on bulletin boards. All engineers, I have recently noticed some of the passenger engineers approaching passenger station at Spencer and Salisbury at too high a rate of speed. Will you please use the necessary precaution in the future? Signed R.L. Avery, Superintendent of Terminals. Almost four months later, on October the 8th, 1913, another bulletin was posted reading as follows. All passenger engineers... I have recently noticed some of the engineers are running at too high a rate of speed while approaching passenger station at Salisbury and Spencer. I have called your attention to this several times. I want you to use extra precaution while approaching the passenger station and crossover switches at Salisbury. Signed, R.L. Avery, Superintendent of Terminals. It is interesting to note that the latter bulletin bears engine man Tankersley's signature, who was on train 38. The damaged Pullman sleeping car, the rearmost car of train number 32, was built in 1892. The car was of wooden construction with steel sheathing and was equipped with six-wheel steel trucks. Engine 1333 on train 38 is of the Pacific type, having a total wheelbase of 67 feet. It is equipped with Westinghouse high-speed ET brakes, two 9.5-inch pumps, and is provided with an electric headlight. To determine the vision of the engine crew of a train approaching the point of accident, a car with markers was placed in the position occupied by the rear of train 32 at the time of the accident, and under similar conditions it was found that the markers could easily be seen from the engine man's seat a distance of about 220 feet, and for a distance about 
1,400 feet from the fireman's seat. Engine man Jones of train 32 stated that on approaching signal 3370, he found the top arm in the stop position and the bottom arm in the caution position, which indicated to him that the block was occupied and that the crossover switch was set in position for the station tracks. He therefore reduced the speed of his train and brought it to a stop at 9.29 or 9.30 p.m., just south of the crossover switch. At this point, his train waited until train number 35 had pulled out of the station and passed on the southbound track. He then started his train forward a few feet, but was stopped at the point of the crossover switch by a hand signal from the switchman. He stated that he expected a signal to proceed would be given at any moment, and he was in the act of reaching for the whistle cord to signal the flagman to go back when the collision occurred. He stated that as soon as he straightened up after the collision, he looked at his watch, and it was then 9.37 p.m. Engine Man Jones stated that he does not consider the stop which his train made at the crossover to be an unusual one, and that he has been stopped there several times in order to permit other trains to get out of the station. He also stated that he has on some occasions found the track occupied between signal 3370 and the crossover. Conductor Laird of train 32 stated that, approaching Salisbury, he was riding in the second car from the engine and that when the train stopped south of the crossover at 9.29 or 9.30 p.m., he opened the window and looked out. He then went to the platform, got off and asked the brakeman who was there if he had seen the flagman go back. The brakeman replied that he had not. Conductor Laird stated that after waiting a few moments, he started to go back to the rear of the train, and when about two car lengths from the rear, he saw the flagman standing with his lantern. He shouted to him to go back and flag. He further stated that the flagman stepped upon the platform, got his lanterns and started back, making the remark that train 38 was not due until 9.40pm, to which Conductor Laird replied, Go back anyway. Conductor Laird then started towards the forward end of the train. After walking a short distance, he turned and saw the reflection of the headlight of train number 38 on the rails. He then returned to the rear of the train and was at that point when the accident occurred. He stated that his train had been standing three or four minutes before the flagman started back and that he had reached a point 300 or 400 feet from the rear of the train when he was passed by train number 38. He stated that this flagman had been working with him regularly for five or six months and he considered him to be a competent flagman. He further stated that the brakes on train number 38 were not applied until the engine was within 100 feet from the rear of train 32. He estimated the speed of train number 38 to have been 
18 or 20 miles per hour at the time the accident occurred. Flagman Wilson of Train 32 stated that shortly after leaving China Grove, he went to the forward platform of the rear car and he'd been riding there four or five minutes when the train stopped south of the crossover. Upon stopping, he looked out to see the cause and then passed through the car to the rear platform, opened the trap and got off. About the time he got on the ground, the conductor shouted to him to go back with a flag, whereupon he returned to the rear platform, secured his red lantern and started to run back, swinging the stop signal. He had proceeded about 500 feet when he was passed by the engine of train number 38. At the time he started to go back, he could see the rays of the headlight of train 38 shining on the rail. He stated that he was not riding on the rear of the train as several passengers were occupying the platform. And the reason that he did not go back immediately was because he expected every moment the train would move forward. He stated that the train stopped at 9.30 p.m. and the collision occurred at 9.35 p.m. His train had been standing about three minutes when he started back to flag and he believes that if he had gone back immediately when the train stopped, he would have had an opportunity to get back a sufficient flagging distance, but considering the speed at which train number 38 was running, he probably would not have succeeded in stopping it. He estimates the speed of train 38 to have been 30 or 35 miles per hour at the time it passed him. He further stated that he knew train number 38 was due to arrive at Salisbury at 9.40pm and feels that it was his duty to flag at this point. Engine man Tankersley of train number 38 stated that his train passed China Grove at 9.24pm, one minute late. As he approached the first signal, number 3380, it was in the caution position, and so he reduced the speed of his train. When about half a mile from the second signal, number 3370, he saw the top arm of that signal in the stop position, and the bottom arm in the caution position. Passing the signal, he released the brakes, and at that time, the speed of this train was about 12 or 15 miles per hour. When he reached a point about 200 feet south of the overhead bridge, he discovered the flagman and the rear of the train's 32 simultaneously. By that time, the flagman was in the middle of the track, and between 50 and 70 feet from the rear of the train. He immediately applied the brakes and reversed the engine. Engine man Tankersley further stated that it has always been his understanding that when the bottom arm of the second signal, number 3370, was in the caution position and the top arm was in the stop position, it indicated that the crossover switch was open. The track was clear as far as the switch and that it gave him a right to pass the signal at a reasonable rate of speed so that he could stop in case a stop signal should be given. He stated that in this instance 
he could have stopped within his range of vision, except on that particular curve. Fireman Kelly of train number 38 stated that, approaching Salisbury, he was sitting on the fireman's seat looking ahead for signals. He saw signal 3370 with the top arm in the stop position and the bottom arm in the caution position, but did not see the flagman or the rear of train 32 until the engine man applied the brakes. It is concluded that the direct cause of this accident is the failure of flagman Wilson to properly protect the rear of his train. General Rule 99 reads in part, When a train is stopped at an unusual point or is delayed at a regular stop over three minutes, or when it fails to make its scheduled time, the flagman must immediately go back with danger signals to stop any train moving in the same direction. Under this rule, flagman Wilson should have gone back as soon as the train stopped and not have waited until after three minutes had elapsed before making any attempt to protect the rear of his train. Had he gone back immediately, he probably would have reached the point of tangent where his stop signal could have been seen a considerable distance and thus warned train number 38 of the presence of train 32. Contributing to the accident is the failure of engine man Tankersley to have his train under control upon passing signal 3370, as required by the second paragraph of Special Timetable Rule 603. Under that rule, engine man Tankersley should have so controlled the speed of his train after passing signal 3370 that his train could have been stopped at any point within the range of his vision, should any obstruction have been found upon the track. Fireman Kelly also shares in the responsibility for this accident, in that he was seating on the fireman's seat looking ahead, and in that position he should have seen the markers of train 32, a sufficient distance ahead to have warned the engine man and given him ample time in which to stop the train. Flagman Wilson entered the service of Southern Railway March 15, 1907, and has a clear record. Engine man Tankersley entered the service of the Southern Railway as fireman October 15, 1882, and was promoted to engine man August 15, 1884. Fireman Kelly entered the service April 18, 1910, and has a clear record. At the time of the accident, flagman Wilson had been on duty two hours, and engine man Tankersley and fireman Kelly had been on duty nine hours in the aggregate in the preceding 24-hour period. Attention has repeatedly been called to the superiority of all steel equipment in passenger trains, and had the destroyed Pullman sleeping car been of all steel construction, the loss of life and the number of injuries which resulted from this accident would undoubtedly have been much less. You have been listening to a program about a railroad incident in the United States. 
If you enjoyed the program, please tell your friends and return for more history programs of this type. Thank you and goodbye.